0: The Science Inside Podcast. This is The Science
1: Inside.
2: Hello and welcome to The Science Inside. We are still in the celebratory mood of commemorating great women in science. And we are keeping true to our promise by dedicating this entire month to all the lovely women who are contributing to the various fields in science. And tonight tonight's show brings you another pioneering scientist and researcher from the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research which is the CSIR with the Bioengineering and Integrated Genomics Research Group. She is said to be a few of the kind who specializes in stem cell reprogramming in South Africa and only at 34 years of age, Dimakazokumete has managed to put herself right at the top of the list of those who are pioneering in this field. Kumeta studied the role of a gene mutation which causes skin and lung fibrosis, a condition caused by uncontrolled scar formation that affects the the organs and air sacs. She is a PhD student at the University of Cape Town where she recently submitted her doctoral thesis where she was advised by the late Professor Bongani Mayosi who led her to study a rare genetic condition that is associated with lung, skin and muscle fibrosis which resulted in the breakthrough for the South African medical science sector which could change the treatment of various conditions. Her research is particularly interesting and effective effective as it focuses on the genetic variation among people of African descent, thus custom-making medication and therapies specifically for those living in the African continent. And in tonight's Unscience, we find out about what the Pimwe people of Tanzania, um, what the women actually do there when desperate times actually call for desperate measures and they use unconventional Ways to make make, um, ends meet. But we're going to talk that a bit later in the show. But right now we go into the news with Lindo Gugleti. Good evening, Lindo.
1: This week's Science Headlines. In your news making headlines this week, scientists pursue harvesting purified water from unconventional sources and patients undergoing... Non cardiac surgery are more likely to experience perioperative covert stroke. Good evening, I am mm-hmm. Lindugus Timakwe. Through membrane distillation, researchers are able to purify water through a process called membrane distillation. This water repellent membrane exploits vapor pressure differences between hotter impulse liquid called feed water and colder purified water known as permeate. One of the researchers in Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering in the Colorado State University is Professor Tong. The membrane distillation does an even better and exceptional job other than other technologies such as reverse osmosis which is unable to treat extremely salty water such as desalination brines or those produced by hydraulic fracturing. Though much faith has been placed in this process, distillation is not as perfect yet. One of the main challenges faced is the design of membranes that can efficiently purify water without any contamination of the already clean water. Tong and his team member, Aruna Kota, who's a materialist scientist in the same department, teamed up so they could work on the core science behind designing this perfect membrane. They, too, have new experience described in nature communications. Reasons why membrane designs used in the membrane distillation functions better in comparison to others, Tong said that the fundamental knowledge from their paper improves mechanistic understanding on the water vapor transport in microponus substrates. It also has the potential to guide the future design of membranes used in membrane distillation. It is important to note that the feed water is heated in membrane distillation which separates pure and impure components by differences in volatility. The microporous membrane becomes a key component to the setup as it allows water vapour through, not the entire liquid. It is standard that the membrane is made up of hydrophobic water repellent material just so it could only allow water through it, whilst also keeping a barrier for the feed water. There's a chance for the hydrophobic membranes to fail, however, as the use of omniophobic membranes, which are membranes that repel liquids, keeps the water separation and vapor still in their places. Unfortunately, omniophobic membranes typically slow down the rate and amount of vapor that passes through membrane, which in turn automatically reduces the efficiency of the whole process. Although non-cardiac surgery can improve and prolong quality and duration of life, it is associated with complications. The American College of Surgeons National Surgical Quality Improvement Program showed that among over 350,000 patients undergoing low-risk non-cardiac surgeries, patients had a perioperative overt stroke. An international randomized trial that included patients undergoing all types of inpatient non-cardiac surgery showed that 60 of 8,351 adults had an overt stroke, and these strokes were associated with a high risk of mortality disability. Covert strokes represent brain infarcts that are not recognized acutely because of unappreciated subtle or misclassified manifestations, but are detected on brain imaging. In the non-operative setting, covert stroke is more common than overt stroke and is associated with the development of dementia, cognitive decline, decline in psychomotor speed, and an increase of subsequent overt stroke. These findings in the instrumental activities of daily living scale. To establish clinical outcomes, the study followed up patient throughout the hospital stay and contacted them 30 days after surgery. One year after surgery, research panel interviewed patients in person, collected and collected data for their clinical practicing. Recapping your stories this hour, scientists pursue harvesting purified water from unconventional sources. Patients undergoing non-cardiac surgery are more likely to experience perioperative covert stroke. This week's news stories were sourced from the thesciencedaily.com well thank you linda for bringing those uh,
2: news headlines and stories uh, to us this evening but i really particularly liked the first story that you spoke about uh, around um, the distillation of of water uh, using this membrane I, I guess it would be ha- very helpful for countries where you know everywhere actually water is a scarce resource mm-hmm. and one day they are saying that one day that fights um, or wars that will be coming onto Earth would be water um, resource wars. But what are your thoughts around this membrane that is that might possibly change how we, you know, purify our water and, you know, make once unconsumable water very clean and drinkable?
1: I really do think, like you did say, um, there are many places, most especially in South Africa, where water is very scarce um the fact that we can be able to now use dams the water from dams and other places where most people can't get access to water is quite a good advancement in my opinion um i feel like the distillation also is quite innovative yeah um it, it it's it's a it's a i think it's a method that most people or most scientists will probably Trying to pursue in a way, yeah, um, it's quite smart in opinion, in my opinion, and I do feel it will help in those places where they're dependent on water that is not clean.
2: And I guess it's much cheaper to to perform or to carry out. And it's more effective than reverse osmosis, as you had mentioned. So I guess I we'll get quicker results from using this membrane. Uh, I mean, if I were to be found, let's say, in a desert somewhere, and or maybe not even a desert, in some wilderness, and I had this membrane, I could possibly, maybe even, you know, purify my own water and and drink it. Through the use of this membrane so i i do think it's very innovative as you have mentioned
1: yeah i do think so in as much as it is not perfect as yet yeah i mean they are facing the challenges around design and you know all of the the, the factors that you know contribute for it to be made because they did mention that their main challenge currently is the fact that it still contaminates the water that is not clean that is really clean so for that, mm. there are improvements that still need to be made. But other than that, it is quite perfect, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. That is excellent.
2: So um, we are going to go on a an ad break. And when we return, we're going to our interview with Dima Welcome back. You're still with the Science Inside. Now... Kumeta is a PhD student at the University of uh, Cape Town, where she is she currently or uh, recently submitted her doctoral thesis on the role of a gene mutation, which causes a condition called, a caused by uncontrolled scar formation that affects the organs and the sex. Her research is important because her, she works on creating um, a dis- disease models on the innate immune system to study unique African gene controllers that lead to naturally uh, control viral viral load levels um, actually without um, antiretroviral therapy. She has rubbed shoulders with the best in the field such as Professor Bongani Mayosi and Dr. Gasnad Shab. Shabudin at uh, the UCT's Heiter Institute for Cardiovascular Research in Africa and others, of course, at the UCT. Good evening and a very, very warm welcome to the Science Inside Imakadzo.
3: Hi, Lewa Thank you so much for having
2: me. Yes. So I'd like us to really go into this interview. It seems that you've always known what you wanted to, to do with your life and with your career. And being a scientist was one of those choices. But how did you manage to make your dreams come true? Specifically speaking to the very unique dream of being a heart and blood disease specialist. Not many kids actually dream of being something like that.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, firstly, science is fun. I found science very interesting. I was always curious about the questions of how does the heart work? How does the digestive system work, especially in high school, you know? So that's what got me very interested in choosing science when I got to university. And as for the cardiovascular uh, research, it's it's. Still a passion of mine, mm-hmm. but I slowly deviated from it, and in in a, a very interesting way because uh, my work and my first project with the late Professor Mayosi was to look at. and those are mutations, genetic mutations that lead to um, heart disease, particularly of the young athletes, because that was the focus of his research. And as I went on with the work, I actually shifted my focus from the cardiovascular research to another genetic disease that causes skin disorder and lung fibrosis but the cool thing is that I use what we call pluripotent stem cells and those are cells that can become any cell type in the body they are more of embryonic like they're similar to the cells that actually make a human being so I used those cells which we made in the lab at UCT in order to try and understand how this skin disorder and lung disorder occurs in the South African family that you were investigating. Okay,
2: and um, I also happened to speak to your uh, supervisor, Dr. Janine Schofield, and this is what she had to say about you.
0: This is Dr. Janine Schofield, Research leader of the Bioengineering and Integrated Genomics uh, Research Group at the CSIR. Dima Katsa joined our lab about a year ago, and I think her contribution to the work that's being done here has been phenomenal for a number of reasons. And the first is that she's one of only a few people in the, in the country who has reprogramming stem cell expertise. Really, quite phenomenal. Her PhD work with Professor Bongani Mayosi, in its own right, was really significant. But what she's been able to do is take that knowledge and apply it to the uh, research questions that we're interested in doing.
2: Now, Janine has spoken about this research that you've scudi- um, carried out under the guidance of Dr. Bongani Mayosi, and you have also touched up on on that. But why is it so? groundbreaking and what is the importance of this kind of research?
3: It's really groundbreaking because one of the discoveries they made and it took over 20 years as um, it was mentioned I think in late 2016 or 2017 where they discovered the cardiogenetics um, disease or the gene that causes heart disease. That was groundbreaking and what can translate into is also what I've been doing, that we have these stem cells that we can turn into heart cells or even liver cells or even immune cells to further study the cause or the onset of the different diseases that we're investigating.
2: Hello? Dima Katza, are you yes.
3: still there? Yes, I'm still there.
2: Okay. Um, and. <laughs> Getting to where you you are right now was not uh, an was not an easy journal uh, journey, and also mm-hmm. getting to the pinnacle of the study, which was not easier either. What kind of challenges did you face in undertaking this research?
3: For my PhD research, as I mentioned, that we I investigated how a rare genetic disease or mutation causes skin disorder. Lung fibrosis, but it was also associated with muscle degeneration. What that helped us is with these stem cells, we are able to turn the skin cells that we took from the patients into those pluripotent stem cells using specific molecular factors, uh, which we call almost the switches that switch on specific genes in the in the cell to turn it back into those pluripotent stem cells that are almost embryonic like and what we did is to discover and try to find out how Mm. the fibrosis and the fibrosis is that uncontrollable scar formation that actually leads to organ failure if it's not controlled and it's very very common and yet one of the hardest uh, disorders to deal with because there is no specific cure for it. So in the end of my PhD project, we actually find out that the cells in the affected uh, people who have this gene mutation that causes this disorder, their cells seem to proliferate, and I mean multiply or divide, much faster than the normal healthy cells Mm. of unaffected people. And that also indicated that this gene mutation, the error in the DNA, causes the cells to almost become cancer-like, but also drives the cells in the body to become more fibrotic, especially when exposed to some kind of injury or causes of injury that the body just doesn't seem to be able to control its own wound healing process. Wow. That is... Mm. um, Yeah, that is...
2: Yeah, all I can say is really um, wow to this kind of work that you are. It is groundbreaking. And um, now I'm going to play a, a, a second clip uh, where Dr. Schofield is talking about um, this the, the importance of this research and also the um, the stem cell models and the difficulties in carrying out um, this
0: research. The biggest problem that we are focusing on now is trying to investigate how we can make stem cell models of disease in a dish of liver toxicity and the reason why this is so important is because for any disease that south africans are experiencing whether it's hiv tb or cancer the drugs that have been developed were largely tested uh, for their safety profiles on european populations in the west so when the drugs come here our population experiences very severe side effects so what we're able to do now is is use genome engineering and incorporate that with stem cell biology to make these tiny little liver models of disease in a dish with which to test the drugs and try and understand which people should be taking which drugs so that ultimately our patients across the South African population have access to drugs that are tailored to them in combating disease and so that they've got a fair chance at getting a a better clinical outcome. And Dima key to that research project being one of the only people in the country who can work with these kinds of stem cells.
2: Dima I would like to say congratulations on, you know, this phenomenal, phenomenal, outstanding work. I'm really just astounded by what you are currently doing Um, but just to add on or just to ask on what Janine had uh, delivered there, uh, now the genetic makeup of the African population is known for its genetic uh, variation but very little studies have been carried out on this uh, particular population and this also often affects the way in which individuals respond to the specific uh, medication or treatments but how are you and the CS, CSIR working towards making sure that this population is being included and counted as an integral part of the mass population and ensuring that this population is diagnosed uh, properly and receives the relevant medication specific to their ge- their genetic makeup.
3: Thanks very much, Level. What we are trying to do, as uh, Dr. Oldfield has mentioned, that the African population has a very diverse genetic makeup. And in, in, that, in saying that, we, we mean that, for example, the proteins or the genes that are used to break down drugs that are taken by either patients with HIV, TB, or cancer, because of their differences from the European uh, people, they are unable to fully metabolize or break down those drugs, hence they encounter side effects. So what we are doing is using the stem cells to make them into liver cells, which produce those genes that break down the drugs. And what we want to do in the long run, and that is this is a, a long term project or long term aim which we want to make sure that it benefits the people in South Africa who have or experience those side effects when they take those certain drugs different drugs that they do not respond to is we're able we want to make what we call the precision medicine, and she mentioned tailored drugs yes. we're, we want to be able to identify or screen the people who do not respond to the different drugs and want to see their genetic makeup. You know, for example, uh, most drugs that are that are tested in the European population might just have uh, people that have a gene makeup of, for example, AA, whereas for the people in South Africa, we have a genetic difference of AB. So you can see that's the AB will not be able to uh, break down the drugs that have been made for the AA type of people. So what we want to do is to be able to get the DNA of the different people who usually have poor drug metabolism in in South Africa and have that as part of a repository where we can actually say, no, this drug doesn't work for the people with this type of genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. It will work best for people people with this type of genetic makeup and we're able to recommend different doses because sometimes it's just a dosage that will need to be adjusted and not particularly the drug completely. But in other cases, there will be different drugs that may work similarly but much more effective in people who have the different genetic makeup as uh, from the european so that's the aim of the csi for us to be able to help to help the south africans who have this issue of severe drug effects when they take these prescribed drugs that are currently prescribed and be able to say wait we've tested the genes of these people And they will respond best to this type of drug. And in that way, we actually reduce the cost of of medicine uh, compared to what it is now. And we're able to help most people and have a better outcome for those people. Wow, that
2: is really amazing. And knowing what you know now, how can stem cells and genome engineering platforms be used to explore new avenues of eliminating diseases such as HIV through precision medication and high-tech virus detection and viral load uh, suppression mechanisms?
3: What we want to do, um, and it's a very good question that you're asking, the science, but especially in the HIV research, is going towards finding a cure. Mm-hmm. Now, that is still a challenge because of how the virus replicates and divides so quickly that some of the drugs don't always work effectively. And the current uh, antiretroviral therapy drugs that I use right now, they are able to target and stop the virus from entering or or either continuing to destroy most of the immune cells. But once the virus has entered into the cell and it goes all the way to becoming part of the DNA of the people who are infected, then the ARVs are unable to work effectively because in some way the HIV just hides itself within the DNA of the person. So the drugs cannot identify which is the human DNA and which is the viral DNA. And that's the smart way of the virus just staying dormant and you know, mm-hmm. evading the drug therapy. So what we want to do is, uh, we there are individuals that we call the elite controllers, and elite controllers are those people who actually I, have been infected with HIV, but their viral load is so low that they don't need even to take ARVs. And those are the people that seem to have been cured of HIV, but it's just that they're, DNA or their genetic makeup has given them an advantage. So with gene editing, we are able to replicate those outcomes or those genetic makeup of those people and we're able to study as to how those people are protected in some way from, you know, the virus taking over the immune system. So in that way, we are able to use genetic team to sort of cut and paste or remove some part of the DNA input and put in the genetic makeup that seems to be protective or cure in in a I mean inverted commas cure, cure you know those people who do not show those symptoms of uh, HIV. And from what you have said, I would gather
2: that um, from um, whatever deductions that you make from this, then those insights give you some knowledge as to how you can maybe replicate the same thing for people without that um, specific uh, genes that enable these people to perform better or to do better, even though they are infected with the disease.
3: Mm, And that's the beautiful thing about stem cells that, as I mentioned, we can turn them into any cell type in the body. We can turn stem cells into white blood cells, immune cells that are actually infected by the virus, by HIV, and we can infect those cells with the virus itself and then try and see if we can actually see and get or rather target those pathways that the virus itself seems to use to evade the ARV therapy.
2: Hmm. That is very yeah. interesting, uh, Demagazo. but a while uh, over the weekend I was watching this uh particular show, they were talking about um twin siblings, right? And mm-hmm. um something that just came out from that study was that this um this one of the twins they are the identical twins and the one twin wasn't um they, they were struggling with, with cancer and the one twin who was healthier donated his stem cells to um, to help his brother to, you know, perform better mm-hmm. uh, or to help him to succumb, not to succumb to the cancer. But eventually the stem cells didn't work because apparently they were two identical Uh is there something I mean I thought that maybe it would it, they were supposed to work better or fight the disease better because you know they've got the same thing, but um the other one is has got healthier cells, but yeah. in the event of something like that happening, then it's um it's very quite disheartening if I may put it well that that's
3: the thing that even though you you there might be identical twins you know there's just slight differences in their genetic makeup. They might be identical in every way, but those genetic differences also impact how the other can help the other, you know. Yeah. For example, in the stem cells that they they probably used bone marrow cells and tried to transfer them to the the other twin because they are a perfect match. And I mean perfect isn't ideally perfect. Yeah. You know, but... Because of certain, and we call those things um, receptors, certain receptors in the blood cells of each individual. Whenever a person either gets a blood transfusion and the body recognizes that the receptors Mm -hmm. are not the same, the body will try and reject it because it It recognizes it as foreign, you know, even though they are twins. So it's one of those little differences. And what... um, I should say regenerative medicine and stem cell therapies trying to do is trying to use the person's cells and make uh, the white blood cells and transfuse them back into the individual. And that is what we call um, uh, to prevent immune rejection or organ rejection. Mm -hmm. And in that way, the person can use their own cells to cure themselves. That's what stem cell therapy ideally wants to do and eventually wants to do, even though there's still a long way to go with that.
2: Wow, that is phenomenal. And just the last sec- um, question in this segment, what would you say you w- you have learned from work- working with Dr. Bongani Mayosi as a young black woman? And what were the outstanding lessons from being uh, with him or un- being
3: under his guidance? Oh, Professor Mayoso was a really pioneer and a big impact, not only to myself, but to other students that he supervised and to the university and, you know, the health sector as a whole. But just being with him and learning under his supervision, number one, he always taught me to work with the best. He always said work with the best and that really helped and, and it helped in choosing the people i work with for example with dr schofield she's one of the best in her field as well sure. and to work with her just m- made me know that you know what prof mayosa sure. was right but he also taught me to have my own voice usually students are afraid to voice out what they think especially postgraduate students, if I may say, um, that they're sort of afraid to usually voice out their ideas, you know, to uh, experts and also the supervisors and, until they're at a point where they know their project well. But Professor Mayosi taught me to ask questions gave ideas, gave suggestions to the project that I was working on. And that helped me to be independent and to also trust myself in what I'm doing because every postgrad student knows what they're doing. We're just there to learn and we learn quick when we are given the platform to contribute to the work we are doing ourselves. And Prof. Mayos is really helping with that.
2: Wow. Um Right now, Dimakato, we are going to go into a break. Please stay uh, on the line. And then when we return, we are going to go into unscience. It's that time of the show where we get a little bit silly, where we look at the strange side of science and we look at interesting studies that have piqued the interest of scientists and researchers. Some of the re- Sometimes the research is quirky and at times just outright ridiculous. So let's get into it. Today today's unscience was produced by myself thank you for joining us again for this segment but what are your thoughts around polyandry or prospects of women having more than one romantic partner (laughs) i must say
1: given the fact that there are more women than men Mm -hmm. um the ratio is a bit high so it would be really interesting to find out how that would go (laughs)
2: Well, new research conducted by the University of California now challenges social uh, norms of males and female sexual stereotypes, saying that multiple spouses can just be as good for women too. I know many feminists and independent women out there are not going to like this very much, but apparently, having multiple spouses, according to these scientists, this privilege can buffer women against economic and social crises and more effectively keep their children alive.
1: Whoa, but how can this even be accurate research? I mean, propagating such, especially in a country such as ours, where HIV rates are very high, and the culture of sugar daddies and babies. This should not be spoken about so loosely, hey? I
2: know, I totally agree. But it is a well-known fact that women, um, actually men rather, benefit productively from having multiple spouses, where for reproductive purposes, having multiple partners could in turn favor, um, in their favor to have multiple partners, but women can reproduce, um, can't actually reproduce as quickly due to pregnancy and lactation. But this research was in light of, uh, of one woman actually marrying multiple partners, not actually just having them as sexual partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, but then, funny, you should mention that, uh, you should mention that because um, South Africa has um, some consequences of, uh, of, you know, this... uh, reckless kind of research and stating such things on radio um it could have you know very uh, dire effects uh, on people who are listening right now but this study was carried out in Tanzania where data collected from about 2000 people living in a small village in the northern region of Rukwa Valley led to this
1: conclusion Okay, but how does this assist women in securing her, f- in a woman basically, in securing her future and the future of her children? Well, reasons as to why a
2: woman might benefit from having multiple marriages was not clear. But a professor of anthropology... And uh, lead researcher Monique Borgerhoff Mulder says that marrying multiple male partners could be a wise move for women where men's economic productivity and health vary radically over their lifetime due to challenging environmental conditions.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So, are you saying basically just because men have shorter lifespans, it's better for women to have a man? or two on standby? Well, I wouldn't really put it that way, but that's what
2: they're saying essentially. Mm -hmm. Postdoctoral fellow at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology and the study's co-author, Cody Ross, found that women who move from one spouse to the next seem to have more surviving children during the number of years they had been married. Whilst, in contrast, men tended to have uh, produced fewer, surviving children
1: with the individual women they were married to over their lives. Okay, this is quite interesting, but maybe you can play around with it. Don't you think they should put it another way? By saying, as a woman, uh, marrying multiple times increases your children's lifespan because of the multiple caregivers' ability to provide better than one, you know? As opposed to saying polyandry is the solution to a woman's lack of meeting life's hierarchy of needs. Listen here, I agree with you.
2: But this study does come off that, you know, the study does come off a bit of uh, a condescending and a standoff ish one uh, towards women. But uh, Bogohoff Mulder collected information on the births, the deaths, the marriages, and divorces of all households in a, in a Western Tanzanian village over a period of 20 years. The people who live there are of Pimwe heritage, and their people have a long history of hunting. Fishing and farming um, cassava and maize And conducting small business However, crop yields are unreliable Due to unpredictable rainfall, poor soil conditions Agricultural pests and theft Ross also cited that a longitudinal study like this one Which employs continuous or repeated measures To follow particular individuals over prolonged periods was much more reliable than records collected uh, then studied retrospectively.
1: Okay, so for these people, it seems it's quite clear that having multiple partners seems to work or have worked for this region in Tanzania. Correct, and it would be reckless to try to impose
2: this on other regions or countries because conditions and circumstances are not the same. But not to say that there are not cases of women having multiple husbands in South Africa or across the world for that matter and I believe that
1: it would be for completely different reasons if we were to find these facts. Okay, but like how accurate is this in terms of facts? I mean bearing in mind that these res- researchers are not even from Africa. Sure. According to Boga Mulder, having children
2: is still a key currency in very rural parts of Africa, adding that evolutionary biologists measured the benefits in terms of numbers of surviving
1: children produced during the marriage... Honestly, I'm just waiting for the importance <laughs> of the study and what they're trying to prove by all of this. <laughs> right. It was to emphasize
2: the fact that in many rural regions in Africa, reproductive among um, and inequality among women emerges not only from uh, reproductive suppression, but more likely from direct competition among women for access to resources. And these resources actually also included multiple high-quality care to help around the house and the farm and from the cultural context uh, you know, the more the merrier Hel- having helpful in-laws to advise in mm-hmm. situations where you might
1: need them to, to, to you know, put a hand mm-hmm. in I wonder what the population of men against women is. Otherwise, I wouldn't see this turning out well anywhere else in the world. Well, as of today, the current population of the United Republic of
2: Tanzania stands at over 61 million according to the United Nations latest estimates. Tanzania has one of the biggest birth rates in the world, with more than 44% of the population being under 15 years of age. The fertility rate is estimated to up to 5 children born per woman. That's quite a lot. Yeah, hey? so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I would be able to do such, no, hey? Yeah, but well that's my <laughs> opinion. And yeah. marriage is formal and either partner can actually initiate divorce and men and women may have more than one sexual partner uh, than marriage partners, but sexual partnerships are quickly recognized as marriages. I don't know. I feel like
1: they're playing around with a lot, here. first of all, the marriage. But I guess we were (laughs) all raised differently. We all have different views. But honestly, with the 44% rate of people that are giving birth under the age of 15, it's it's ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah, and it's just
2: shocking that, uh, I mean, HIV and malaria are one of the... Killers yeah. of, of the population, yeah. there as well. Uh, but well, it's different strokes for different folks. I and guess. this week it was unusual, unlikely, unscience. And this week's unscience was sourced from sciencedaily.com. And the music is from Band Sounds.
1: Stay curious, stay informed, stay on the science inside.
2: Welcome back. This is the Science Inside and we are in the second half of the show where we are in conversation with Dimaka Tsukumete who was born and bred in Soweto. She specializes in stem cell programming and is only one of a few in the country who are able to regenerate and programs themselves in order to treat skin, lung, and liver cells in an attempt to treat disease and conditions related to these organs. Now, we get to know Dimakazo a little bit more, and we are going um, to be a little bit more personal with her. Welcome back, Dimakazo. Thanks. Thanks, Lebo.
3: Yes.
2: Um You were raised by a single mom in Soweto, and that must have been tough. I mean, township life is not easy, I would also know. But what were your fondest moments or memories of growing up there under those circumstances?
3: Well, my mom used to do part-time jobs at the Rand Easter show, so usually in the every year she would make sure that at least my sister and I get to spend a day at the Rand Easter show. So those were one of the fond moments, you know, and also just growing up with my cousins. I think it's much fun for young children to grow up in a household together course, there will be challenges where we fight and all of that. You know, just a little silly fight of children, but it really helps to interact and mingle with people and learn how to be kind as well. So those are the things I cherish even now. Yeah. And you you're also relatively
2: young when you lost your mom, but what helped you to push forward and to, um, you know, to propel yourself to um You know, doing whatever it is that you had set your mind to, completing your studies, setting yourself up for
3: success and
2: also overcoming the loss.
3: Well, my mom was a very strong woman. She was a very independent woman. And she taught me to always be independent. Don't rely on especially (laughs) men. (laughs) Don't say to me, please. Go get your education, buy your own car, buy your own house, don't rely on a man because he'll be gone tomorrow. And that really helped me to stay focused in my studies, but also of the life that she envisioned for me. You know, she envisioned a successful life for me and my sister. So pursuing that, I mean, the passion of science is also great, but to know that education can take you out of poverty, of out of these financial struggles that you grew up with, you know, that also helped me to stay focused and to pursue my studies and a better future for myself. Hmm.
2: Those are really wise words. And your mom seems to have played
3: uh, a very
2: integral part in your life, uh, even in the ch- the career that you've uh, chosen. But what were the, some of the important, very important lessons that you have taken away from her and, you know, her life as well?
3: My mom used to, used to fix things in the home because she was, she was a single parent. When the heater broke, she'll fix it, When a kettle broke, she would fix it. (laughs) And from that, I learned, you know what? I can do it. I'm a girl. I don't need to have a male figure all the time fixing kettles and heaters, you know? And that's the one thing that I really took out from being raised by her to say there is no gender biasness in being capable of doing anything that you set your mind to do. And that is what also made me believe that as a woman, I can do whatever I believe I can do. Hmm. And according to
2: um, to Dr. Schofield, you also have some superpowers. So let us listen to what she has to say.
0: The other thing that makes her so remarkable, of course, is her extensive linguistic skills. So if you can imagine, one of the things that we are really passionate about is scientific dissemination, particularly to the public and particularly to young girls. Now... It's one thing to try and do that in English, but Demakato does it in Isizulu and Susutu. So she's reaching individuals that we never thought we were going to be able to explain this kind of work to. And if she can inspire young girls to enter the realm of science with this really, really cool scientific technology that she's doing, I think, I think that's just as important as the research that she's actually doing.
2: Well, there you go, uh, Captain Di uh <laughs> Dr. Schofield spoke there about, you know, your linguistic prowess, being multilingual. And I know Soweto is a town where many tongues and languages are, you know, a thing and people can speak them. But being able to speak them fluently is another thing. How do you learn to speak all of these languages? And how would you say... um this, helps, this has helped you in communicating such a difficult subject such as science?
3: In high school, I did um, as a first language. And, I mean, from primary school, you know, learning English as a first language and then going to high school, I had to learn very quickly, but that gave me an advantage to be able to understand some of the science and be able to explain it to even my nephews, my cousins, you know, in Zulu. But I also studied at the University of KwaZulu Natal for my undergraduate studies. And I mean, the Zulus are very proud of their language. And course. taught me to, they taught me to respect one's language, not just, you know, uh, speaking it uh, casually, but to really understand it, and to speak it well. My cousins in in K Z N they would correct me when I said something wrong in Zulu, you know, they were like, No, 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 that's not how we say it And that made me have an appreciation for the language and to really learn it. That at the end when I finished my studies that side, I spoke it better than anybody in my family I should say. And in a way that helped me to to be able to disseminate the science, as we're saying, you know, um, to be able to explain it to a young child who doesn't fully understand all the scientific words in English, but to be able to explain it in such a way that they also get to appreciate it in their own language. And you know what? All the European countries are doing it. They're teaching science in German. They're teaching science in French. We should do that. It's about time that South Africa also does that.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And you actually put some of us to shame because uh, (laughs) we are like... (laughs) And we are in the communication uh, field where, you you know, we are supposed to know a language fully. But um, with that being said, you also... um, you read your most recent uh, book that you read was by Shonda Rhimes A Year of A Year of Yes and you said it inspired you significantly how did this book inspire you
3: Oh, man, if anybody knows who Shonda Rhimes is, you know, you've probably watched Grey's Anatomy. You've probably watched Scandal. You've probably watched How to Get Away with Murder. And, you know, when you listen to the dialogue, she always does these monologues, and they're beautiful. But for that brilliant writer and script writer to be open and honest about the challenges that she faced as well as a female but also someone who was hiding who she was or who she is because either of how she looked you know she didn't look like any typical script writer that and for her to decide to have a year of yes to say you know what anything that I was shying away from the year of yes is going to exactly that what i was shying away from i'm going to do it this time that also encouraged me and helped me a lot to say you know what sometimes we put so much of our life aside especially as postgraduate students that our focus is just study and we put our social life aside you know that helped me to get out of that mode and to say you know what i'm going to start having a life outside my studies and even though they will take most of it but I'm going to say yes to certain things. I'm going to say yes to things that I didn't even think I would say yes to, but things that took me out and made me braver, made me bolder, and be able to be more open and vulnerable with myself as well.
2: Hmm. And speaking of, you know, social life beyond the white coat and the lab, what do you do to kick back and to unwind?
3: Uh, I, I love reading. I love watching movies. I'm a Marvel fan, so I'm kind of upset and sad that the Avengers have ended. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I I love um, outdoor activities, especially hiking. Having uh, lived in Cape Town, I've got to appreciate more of the outdoors, you know, and like, like Shona Rhyme say, say yes to things you're afraid of. If you're afraid of camping, why not camp once? You know so i'm I'm still in that attitude to say, "Let's try new things that I haven't tried." so I love doing outdoor activities, I love playing tennis and sport and running. Running is one of my favorite things it's It's easy, it's fun, you know, and you come back feeling refreshed even though your muscles are kind of tired, but it's one of those refreshing and mind clearing activities, and it's absolutely free. You just get on the road and run, yeah.
2: And how has this um, improved um, the scientist that
3: you are? That is a very good question because it has helped me to also think about things differently and not just think that there is no answer to the questions I'm asking. Mm -hmm. You know, any question that one asks, somebody out there in the world must have thought of it as well. Yeah. And when you Google things, I mean people Google strange things and they are answers for those <laughs> <Yeah>. strange questions. <laughs> yeah, so be curious, continue to be curious, continue to ask questions and that's what science is all about asking the questions and i I, I told my cousin that at the end of a phd it's not more of having all the answers but it's being able to ask the right questions yeah that will help you pursue your research and the question that you're asking further and that's what we do in science we're asking further questions how can we target hiv we don't just stop over the arvs are there But and stop there, and we can't find a cure. Mm. Let Let's pursue the question of the of the cure. How can we get a cure?
2: Yeah. Wow. So I'm, I'm really pleased and happy to to hear that you're a well-rounded human being <laughs> because a lot of people just seem to think that scientists are these boring people who wear white coats, <laughs> who wear glasses, and then who just sit behind very unfriendly laboratories. But you've just shown us a very interesting side of, of scientists that they're also only humans like everybody else. Mm. And with um, do you have any parting words to to students whose shoes you were once in before, do you have any encouraging words for our listeners tonight?
3: I would say, go out and pursue what you want to pursue. There will always be those misconceptions that certain people can only enter into certain doors, and that's not true. Yeah. All you got to do is find a way to have that door open. Ask the right questions, speak to people who are able to help you and believe in yourself, most importantly, believe in yourself and do what you love in that way. It will not be a hard thing to wake up in the morning and going to school or going to work. yes. Mm.
2: Those are very powerful and encouraging words because we do sometimes lose sight of what we had intended to do with our lives and then we just sort of give up along the road. But I have been inspired by your story and uh, now I know that there's another superhero in... um, the science field who's pioneering and who's really doing really phenomenal work uh i'm really just i can say i'm proud of you <laughs> as thank a you very much. yeah as a woman as a scientist and um, as a love of science thank you so much for the work that you are doing thank you and thank you for, for being on the science inside
3: Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful interview. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you
2: very much. Uh, that was Dimakazo Gumete, And um, we'll go on a short break right, right now. When we return, then we are going to uh, wrap up. This week on the Science Inside, we were once again paying tribute to the pioneering and hardworking women who are making a contribution, a significant contribution to uh, the fields of science and technology. And this week was was not different at all. We had Dima Gadzokumeta from the CSIR, and she spoke about her contributions towards her groundbreaking methods of treating HIV and other uh, cardiovascular uh, conditions through stem cell reprogramming her research is well on its way in customizing treatment and medication particularly in the african continent where many studies and research is based on caucasians and mostly overseas and uh, that way that is where we will leave the show for tonight and um of course, before we go, we would like to thank all of the guests who were featured on tonight's show, starting with Dima and her supervisor, Dr. Janine Schofield. And uh, the team behind the scenes is a uh, production by Lindo Gukle Dimakwe, and tech was by Spiwe Mulo'i. That was it on the Science Insights to tonight, but you can also find our podcast on podcastvits.journalism.co.za forward slash science and You can also find it on iTunes. And uh, The Science Inside is produced by the WITS Radio Academy, funded in part by the South African Department of Science and Technology. Good night.
3: The Science Inside Podcast. Podcast.